Let's see how low we can do this. Ready? Yeah. Welcome to Dragon Talk. Oh, 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 oh. We are here for your candy. Give us all your candy. No, it's not Halloween. It's Thanksgiving. Give us all your cornucopias. It, the, 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 the sweet potatoes. All right, here's a little bit of trivia for anyone from the uh, New York yes. area. Uh-huh. Do you remember Carvel? Yeah. They probably had them in Fudgy New Jersey whale. and all that. Yeah. And they had the one cake pan. Yeah. And they would make Fudgy the Whale. Mm-hmm. And then at Christmas, they would like tip that over onto its side and it looked like a Santa. Fudgy's tail became Santa's hat. No. Yeah. And then Thanksgiving, they tipped it again and it became a cornucopia. No. Same cake design. What? Is this blowing your mind? This is blowing my mind. Mother's Day. Tip it over again. It becomes a bouquet. No. It's just like different colors yeah, of, they had like of ice cream in it. one cake pan, and they were just like, it's Fudge of the Whale for a whale of a dad, and now it's Thanksgiving and Cornucopia. And oh they probably turned it into a ghost for Halloween. I remember like discovering that. Now, how do we learn? How do, we can totally do something like that for D&D, where it's like, this is a beholder, but it's actually... But it's a flump. Uh, uh, kind of. Yeah. You can do flumpy type things there. I feel like you could turn a mind flare into a beholder. Like, just kind of like... Yeah. Take those gooey... If you had the cutouts and the things. Tentacles that face down and just... Face them up. Pippy long stocking them up. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Let's do it. Flump holder. In fact, what am I saying? We mostly do this for like miniatures and stuff when we're like, hey, this is not really a mind flare, but just, you know, I'm using the mind flare one because it's close enough oh, to the Oh, when thing we're that playing I, with miniatures? Yeah. Yeah. We to- I totally do that. I mean, so, I guess there's a little bit of using your imagination in D&D. Psst, just a little. Like, not a like, lot. I'm sorry. I simply can't get into this encounter because that is not a flump. Not a flump. Not a flump, you guys. <laughs> not <laughs> The breathing in is so Dude, smart. The flump voice. Lauren Urban uh, did the flump voice. Uh, she she did this with uh, uh, Dusty and Doom, but she brought it back out for our most recent Extra Life game for uh, Clerical Error, which was tons of fun. Yeah, yeah. And one of the wild things that happened was uh, we all turned into flumps, oh. and we're walking down the street, or the NPCs all turned into flumps, and we were like, "What's all this?" There's like a flump parade happened outside. And we had to deal with that. I like flumps. Flumps are weird and cool and interesting all the time. I don't, I don't think I could hurt a flump. Yeah, I always want to hang out with flumps. And yeah. I'd be like, hey, what's up, Flumpy? And he'd be like, hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I don't think I can do that without coughing. I died. I just died. Oh, no. <laughs> the ghost of Greg? I just inhaled a flump. Oh, that's, that yeah. happens. And it stinks in here. That's uh, <laughs> because you... I'm not going to bring it up again. Uh, that's another episode. I watched Wreck-It Ralph this morning. Oh, the first one? Yeah. Not for, the second one that's not released yet? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't go into the future. But I was, <laughs> when the part Australian? when like, the Laffy Taffy laughs. I never actually saw it. Oh, you movie. never saw it? No. Oh, did you ever see it, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was really funny. Never mind. Doesn't matter because you didn't see it. But you, you saw, saw it. it. It was funny. It was funny. The Laffy Taffy laughs when something bad kept happening. It was like, yeah. Because it's Laffy Taffy, it laughs. I know. I'm like, this is so funny. It works on so many levels. I guess. It's also delicious candy. It's not. No one likes it. Nope. No. Banana flavored Laffy Taffy. Oh, that is like, just, why do you hate me? If they were giving that out on Halloween when I was a kid, I was like, no, no, no. I'll take an apple. You just take this back. Give me your pennies Give me your pennies. (laughs) 
Do you got any candy with like toothpicks in it? <laughs> Can I have a razor blade, please? <laughs> How about some of that Tylenol? Oddly Tylenol enough, I uh, whenever I would go up to, uh, you know, doors after that Halloween, the lights always turned off. Oh, it's weird. It's weird, right? The Tito kid is coming. Get that kid out of here. <laughs> Put him in a special school. Um, I hear he plays Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> he's, he's full of evil intent. He can't separate fantasy from reality. He wants us to give him razor blades. <laughs> That's the devil talk. That's the devil talk. Don't listen to him. <laughs> so, speaking of the satanic panic, uh, Art and Arcana is yes. a fantastic book which traces all of the history of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it's done by four amazing authors. Uh, we've had them on the podcast, and that book is available now everywhere. And if you even are remotely interested in Dungeons and Dragons, you should pick it up. But if you have friends uh, that are also remotely interested in. Get oh, it for them. for sure. Yeah. It's such a good gift. It's such a good gift. Uh, it is also a great way to uh, trace all of the um, artwork and how it is informed kind of fantasy in general. Yeah. Not even D&D, but like, you know, how, how our conception of what is fantastical has shifted and changed over the four decades that uh, D&D has been around and how it's influenced everything from... You know, video games to uh, parties to television to movies. Yep. All that stuff. Yep. So check it out if you can. It is a walk down memory lane. And there's one of the most surreal things that I actually got to talk to those four authors about Dungeons and Dragons in a church. I was standing. Oh, yeah. Like by the altar as I was talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, exactly. I used to be an altar server. So uh, that's something that you should totally jump into. Uh, Art and Arcana, do it up. Um, we have lots of great products coming out this here November, including Dungeon of the Mad Mage, Waterdeep, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, a great delve into Undermountain, 23 levels, all detailed. More detail in this iteration of Undermountain than ever before. Uh, all of the ways that D&D has explored Undermountain from, you know, second edition on uh, have, you know, talked a little bit about the first few levels. They might sketch out what happens in the mountain, the levels underneath it. But here in this book, we go and have maps for each one of those levels. That's crazy. They all have stories to tell. And they're, you know, obviously all connected by uh, Halister Blackcloak and him uh, uh, controlling what's happening under there. But you could also plug and play a lot of this stuff and use it uh, if you just need a really cool uh, level of a dungeon to explore uh, in your homebrew game. It's really cool. Do it up. <coughs> what's wrong got, with my voice? I don't know. Um, I was the one that inhaled doing the flump I know. Voice. I think it, you've possessed me or something. Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica is also out now. It is fantabulous. It is a way to jump into the world of Ravnica from uh, Magic the Gathering. You can play as any number of the ten guilds that rule the entire city plane of uh, Ravnica. Um, And uh, there's tons of new challenges in there for... Uh, you know, even experienced D&D players, you can throw some of the monsters and things that are uh, described. Uh, the bestiary is pretty robust in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. And, uh, you know, uh, all of a sudden, these new bouncers and new characters and new things will be thrown at D&D players and they won't know what else oh, to yeah, do. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What would happen if I didn't know which guild I wanted to be part of? Is there a way for me to randomly determine that? I know. There is. It's there called, is? In the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica dice, there is an oversized... Uh, D10 with yeah. all of the 10 symbols. If you just want to be like, hey, I want a random guild. It's going to be my background. You roll it. 
boom, you got your guild. That's awesome. It's just that easy. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's perfect for one-shots, jumping into it. There's an adventure in there uh, that was specifically crafted to get people to, to, to be able to jump in quickly to what's uh, occurring. Hopefully, it is the launch pad for a lot of new storytelling in Ravnica. That sounds awesome. If you want to learn more about that, uh, I think it's concluded by this point, but the podcasts of Ravnica promotion, 10 live play podcasts, all audio, delving into each one of the guilds in Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, 10 one-shot adventures. They're all on the Dungeon Delve feed, uh, which is different, separate from our Dragon Talk feed. Go check them out. Lots of great and talented people working on all of that. So make it so. Okay. I dig it. I'm um, doing it. Yeah. Thank you again to uh, Jen Vaughn from the D20 Dames uh, for doing a lot of the heavy lifting, organizing that uh, whole group of uh, amazing creators. I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. Very happy. Um, you've got some games coming out. Mm, just a, not really. No, no. Just right. like everything. Every game. Betrayal Legacy is out. It's there. It's in stores. Unless it's do you think it's going to be sold out? Yes. Sweet. That's a good problem to have. I know. It's so good. But you got a little bit scared when but I said that. Is it going to be sold out? You're like, I don't want to be sold out. I think, um, so for a long time, it's been me saying that it's so good. And you can believe me or, or not. It's fine. But now, like, the reviews are coming in. And it's getting some ridiculously positive reviews. It's so fun to see or read about people discovering all of these little secret surprises and horrors packed in this little box, but without spoiling it. Don't spoil it. They're just saying, oh my God, something amazing just happened. I can't wait for you to go through chapter six. I dig it. I love how there's all these, um, you know, uh, familial stories that can be told throughout it. I love it. I know. Such a great way to uh, explore it. It was fun watching people playing it. And like getting really into their their family, like yeah. they kind of it just lends itself to role playing. So it's a very D and D like really type of way, even well, though you're exploring. Kind of a big D and D nerd. You know? He is, yeah. He's he's a wonderful game designer, and uh, I think he he hit it out of the park here. So I, I can't think wait. so too. I can't wait for more people to check it out. Dungeon Mayhem, a card game all about Dungeons and Dragons characters uh, causing some mayhem with each other. Yep, it's the perfect size to stuff in a stocking. It is a stocking stuffer. But it's also, if you are going to have any time off, and you're going to have any time off with friends and family, you need this game. Quick to learn. You can basically learn it in five, less than five minutes. Less two than minutes, five. really. Oh, yeah. We say five minutes, but it's really like a minute and a half. Because it's, it's like, here, just look at these things. There you go. You got it. I timed myself. And then all of a sudden, those people can teach other people, and then teach other people, and, and all do. of a sudden, it's this like viral uh, infection that everyone just, has got. Oh. I'm, I've got a, like, I need a prescription. Are there any? No, you don't want to cure it. <laughs> oh, wait. Don't play Dungeon Mayhem. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the reverse psychology. That only of Shelley. works on five-year-olds. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's game that five-year-olds can play. He has played it. Yeah, they dig it. because I keep saying dig it. Dig it. <laughs> I, I can dig it. I feel like I've got like John Lennon on the brain with like, <laughs> I dig a pygmy. But, oh, never mind. Uh... <laughs> What were we talking about? How Dungeon Mayhem is really cool? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's got really great cool. artwork on it. Kyle Farron did yes. the artwork. Um, it brings to life these four different classes. Yes. So a barbarian, uh, rogue, wizard, and paladin. Yep. The artwork is They're great. adorable. There's yeah. so many fun little things to discover on those cards. Yeah. Just keep, just keep looking at them. And then you want to play with one uh, character, and then you want to play again you with play another one, because they all have special cards and special abilities on them. And you're going to want... 
Yes. I want to know who your favorite is. We Everybody I'm, tell me. Mine is Leah the Radiant. Do you love her? She, I do love her. She's I think very I love Oriax the Clever. She, I love playing the rogue. The rogue is fun. It's kind of fun to just disappear for a turn. Yeah. Like, you guys take care of this yourself. I'm but out. then I'll just take your card um, oh, yeah. next turn with a pickpocket. But the wizard is also wonderful. Fireball! Oops. I've had a lot of people just be like, I don't care. I'm just going to blow everybody up. There was a guy at Gamehole that he was down to like one hit point and the rogue was going to take him out. And he just goes, I can't give you the satisfaction. And he played fireball and he blew himself up. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's mayhem. I know. That's mayhem. That's mayhem. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think we've exhausted. No, there's probably more stuff. There's the ABCs and one, two, threes oh, of D and D. Yep. Children's books. They're awesome. Uh, we also have core rule books out there. Gift sets. Gift sets. Access uh, and allies and zombies. Access and allies and zombies. Uh, all the map packs. So maps and miscellany for Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, in addition to Dungeon the Mad Mage recreations of all the maps in those books. Just add them all dry, to your wish list. Dry erase on them so you oh, can track yeah. all kinds of stuff. Uh, Great for taking notes, and there's also some player handouts in there as well. So that's the the miscellany uh, in each of them. Yep. And uh, of course, the, the dice, the Dragon Heist dice set is coming out this month as well. Uh, really attractive dice, kind of a blue and gold uh, look on Water them. Water deepy. Water deepy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's got this hit point tracker, uh, which are these two discs of uh, ten digits on them. Displays any kind of number uh, that you want for your I thing. Need that. It's really great, and it's got a nice little kind of clickiness to it. That I, as a fidgeter, it works for me. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. All right, well, let's uh, get to hear more uh, from Ari Levitch about what is happening in uh, the lore of Ravnica. I know that's new for a lot of you out there. Okay, let's jump into it and have some bings and bongs. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know segment. I am Greg Tito, and I am here with Ari Levich. How's it going? It's it's going all right, yeah. We are here to talk more about the Plane of Ravnica, uh, because Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, a Dungeons & Dragons book, is out everywhere now for you to enjoy and uh, peruse and hopefully start playing a D&D campaign set in the world of Ravnica, uh, in which ten guilds rule uh, most of what's happening on this plane that's an entire city. Yeah, ten guilds who hate each other and just, yeah, just trying to, you know, just trying to get by. What could go wrong? Yeah, nothing. Uh, so we've covered all of the ten guilds on previous segments, but today we are going to talk about the monsters uh, yes. that are new to Dungeons & Dragons, but not new, perhaps, to Magic the Gathering players. So I just want to also start by saying I'm not going to get through all the new monsters. So there is a robust bestiary section of the book. That I believe I may be off by a little bit. I uh, did a quick count. Uh, has, might have seventy-eight stat blocks. New stat blocks. Seventy-eight yeah. new stat blocks, which includes the uh, all ten guild masters have their own stat blocks. Um, there are NPCs that are associated with each guild, um, and then there are straight up just kind of monstery monsters. So yeah, which some of them are are, are completely new to Dungeons yeah. and Dragons players. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about some of those. Okay, yeah. So um, it, when you uh, when you take a look at the book, uh, you're going to notice that at the beginning of the Beast Jerry, there's actually a table for each guild that will list out uh, uh, monsters that are both from uh, from this book and also from the monster manual mm-hmm. so there are there are monsters that just are you know just that are associated with each guild um, but this book just uh, new stat blocks feature things that just haven't existed before so I want to talk about just some of my favorite ones mm-hmm. um, so this is not comprehensive in every in every way I'm just going to get through a few of them um, one of the things that is new here uh, when we talked about is it 
uh, I guess way back now. Yeah. Um, we talked. We might have talked about uh, a, a group of monsters that are called Weirds. Is it Weirds? And um, if we didn't talk about it here, I talked about it somewhere else. But right, so, anyway, so the Is It League is real quick. Yeah. In case you haven't heard that segment, they are a group of. Kind of, uh, kind of mad scientists uh, who love their jobs and kind of mash very. Uh, or they just basically do reckless experiments uh, in the name of let's see what happens, and uh, that's kind of kind of. And some of these monsters, yeah, uh, you know, were viable. I guess is yeah. the word. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and weirds were some of my favorite uh, creatures uh, from the card game, um, and so. The is it harness uh, kind of uh, volatile forces, elemental powers, and sometimes they actually use elementals, the, the monster. Um, weirds are experimental versions of these elementals that take two opposing elements and kind of cram them, cram them together. Oh. And excuse me, the original intent was to make elementals more stable, that if you take two opposite forces, you might balance them out. That is not what happened. <laughs> uh, they, it's, it became even more volatile in different ways, but they, um, they're different kind of, basically, there are different types of weird. So you might have something that combines, you know, ice and lightning together, uh, which is one of the ones in here. Um, and, you know, it has this kind of ice shell, and if you, if you destroy it or, you know, damage it, lightning will kind of arc out from it. And so all sorts of things could, uh, you know, you might combine, like, steam and fire to create these weirds. So we have mm. uh, a bunch of weirds. A uh, handful of weirds uh, in the book itself, and that's W Y R D. W E I R D. So weird. Oh, actually in, weird, like an weird. actual weird. Yeah. Like, oh. it's, it's I don't know why so I weird. wanted. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. That spelling is so weird. Yeah. So these these are the uh, is it weirds? Um, <laughs> is it is it is it weird? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you made it weird. Yeah, well, I guess I'm done. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so uh, they took you know two great tastes that. I don't know if they taste great together, they're, but they're still there. But so. they blow up. They, yeah, they blow up. blows up. Uh, they're just a ton of fun. Um, and every one of these, uh, every one of these weirds kind of behaves differently in combat. Um, some actually get bigger uh, and, you know, might, might kind of lose its structural integrity and hilarity ensues. So um, it just, they're very emblematic of just, is it philosophy? And uh, so if you're, if you're dealing, if you're fighting in an, is it laboratory, just, be prepared. You might you might encounter one of these things. It might get weird. Yeah, it might get weird. I like that because it also uh, you know plays with player expectation. You know, so like oh, I you know played against a few fire elementals in my time. Right. Oh wait, this is not just a fire elemental. No, it's no. way weirder. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> let me see if I can just show some pictures. Can I can I hold up? Uh, is yeah, that a thing we could do? You can, but it's probably not going to be the best. All right. Never uh, Sorry, uh, everyone. Only, only because we have, a, you know, and a lot of this is for the audio as well. Yeah. So. Oh, sure. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Sorry to take it away from you, Twitch watchers, uh, right now. I tried. So, <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, what is the, yeah, what are some others? Some other ones. Uh, for Simic, so Simic is the other science-minded guild, but instead of dealing with, <clears throat> with kind of explosive forces, they love biology. Mm. And so they have these things uh, that are known as a crisis. And a crisis is a... Is a monster that they create. <coughs> excuse me, I'm losing my voice. No worries. Um, the monster they create by splicing together characteristics from aquatic, reptilian, uh, uh, amphibious kind of creatures. They just kind of cram them together, um, believing that the if you take the best attributes, you could actually create life forms that are perfectly adapted to do whatever they're designed to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things we, we tried out this time is 
uh, in the book is we wanted to let people build their own crisis that, uh, we, you know, you could start with different sizes. So, you know, you have category one, category two, category three, and that those are kind of different sizes of crisis. And then you could start splicing on different characteristics to create your own. Mm. Um, so if you want to be the kind of uh, the, the gene splicer, so to speak, uh, you get to do that uh, as a DM. And that would also, what's also really cool about that is it, it makes it so that players don't necessarily know what to expect when they encounter one of these things. It's up to, the DM could paint a really good picture of describing what they see, and then you know, you're dealing with basically a giant kaiju. So mm. yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And we saw that when we talked about uh, the Simic earlier that they've started taking taking this technology uh, of splicing different characteristics, and they create uh, adaptations on themselves. So you might have you know. Uh, a simic, a mage that has, you know, a crab claw or might be able to have, like, manta ray wings that actually lets them, you know, might let them fly or glide. And so uh, those also exist in the book as NPCs. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, and that's such a and d like, thing, you know, the owlbear yeah, being yeah. the prime example of, you know, two great tastes that, you know, claw if your face together. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of... Uh, that, that, I mean, that's that's their thing, but it's all about biology, using magic uh, to bring these kind of uh, biological characteristics together. That's super cool. Yeah. I dig it. Um, so other ones that are that are new uh, to D and D via magic um, are it's a group of insectoid uh, monsters known as the Crawl, K R A U L. Oh. Okay. And they are primarily associated with the Golgari Guild, and they have this kind of rigid. A uh, rigid structure that's very kind of clear about what your roles are. You're a soldier, or you know, you wield death magic as a death priest. Um, so they have, they are a sapient oh. race uh, of the, of the crawl. Are yeah. oh, yes. okay. And so uh, they are actually, uh, they have been become ascendant in in the guild. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, they become more powerful in the guild of late, and. Uh, so yeah, we have a variety of different. We have uh, basically a guild, uh, a crawl warrior. We have uh, a, a, a crawl uh, winged warrior. So you have a flying crawl, and mm-hmm. you have a crawl death priest, and so you get kind of a gamut of the different the different roles that they might fill. And so when he said that they have specific roles, is that kind of like an ant colony where there's yeah like, exactly okay, there's the workers, there's the soldiers. Yeah, so it's definitely reminiscent of that. And they can fill the role of shock troops for the Golgari if there's an invasion of the surface. Or if people come down to uh, Golgari territory, mm-hmm. um, they often dwell in these uh, these fortresses that almost look like uh, stalactites that hang down from from the uh, ceiling of the undercity. So it's really interesting to see that you know if you're entering Golgari territory, you should probably look up because these things might descend on you. Uh, and yeah, there's there's a really really fun a fun group to uh, to have to deal with if you're if you're fighting the fighting the Golgari. That's I like that, but not even if you're fighting them, they could just be if you're going through the undercity yeah, for whatever reason. Exactly, you know, they're going to be an always on, uh, you know, threat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or you might have, you know, just a fun NPC might be a, a you know a Golgari that or a crawl that has that is not part of its colony or whatnot anymore. Yeah, are there are there gateless uh, crawl? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the fun of uh, of Ravnica is you could you could tell any story you want with that. Um, just you know in. In world-building terms, they are most closely associated with, with Golgari. Got it. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, then we got time for a couple more. So Okay. Yeah. So I want to talk about Archons. Archons. So, Archons. So Archons have a very specific flavor in, in magic. Um, 
they are embodiments of of law and and order. So they are most associated with with the Azorius, which would make which would make sense. Um, archons in Magic are are these beings that are always mounted. So oftentimes when you see them on cards, um, they're always you only see them with their mount. So it was kind of a challenge when we were making this stat block of how do we represent this concept that we only see in a static image on, on magic cards? How do, we, how do we bring this to life? And so we, we landed on this notion that their mounts, um, have, they have this special bond with their mount, that they could use bonus action to teleport back to their mount, that they are, that they are actually metaphysically linked to these things. And so we had to figure out, well, okay, uh, what, what is their mount? You know, what is this thing that they are on? So, because usually the Archon is kind of the collective noun for the, the rider and mount. But, mm-hmm. um, well, we had to dig, we dug a little bit deeper into this, and the Archon is the rider, and the mount is its kind of bonded mount. And uh, we looked at these, uh, we, when we were doing, setting up the mount, we, we um, in Ravnica, there are these horned cats called felidars. And these are kind of magical creatures and some of them have wings. And the whole thing about a felidar, which also has a stat, stat block in here, hmm. is that they, they bond with, with another being as well. So you have this kind of mutual bond between rider and mount, which is awesome. But felidars, who are not bonded to an archon, bonded to the rider, they, spe- they serve a special function in the Azorius as well. They will serve uh, in prisons and bond with a prisoner. So if oh. there's ever if that prisoner ever escapes they or anything like they that, are. they could track them. So, wow. yeah, using that kind of technology, <laughs> Felidar technology, yeah, uh, to to quote do unquote, that. yeah, yeah. So, um, so that, and then so that's how the archons are bonding with their is using like a, a a form of that. That's right. Or that's right. are they actually bonding with Felidars? Or is yeah, it? it's kind of they do this kind of this this cross bond, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, now, what exactly is an archon, though? Like, what is that? Is, uh, is it like the angels you've been yeah, describing? It, yeah, exactly. So they're, they're, they are celestials. They are the celestial being that have basically come up as these or have manifested as supreme arbiters of law. Uh, law itself on, on Ravnica has power. Uh, the Azorius draw on that as, you know, as, as for their law magic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the guild pact itself that binds, you know, keeps all the guilds essentially in balance that's law magic. So the archons are kind of manifestations of, of this concept. And how would they be encountered by player characters? Um, if you, uh, if if massive laws are or massive laws, if 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 you break a law that causes you know all, you know causes chaos to unfold, you may actually actually alert one of these archons that then would come and you'd have to deal with if you are on the opposite side of them. Uh, they're, they're tough. And they're tough. You know, you were making the waving motion. Are they literally patrolling the skies? They might, yeah, they might. So some of them may be patrolling around uh, New Prov, which is uh, the uh, the guild hall of the Azorius. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, may be, they may be perched somewhere or maybe even inert, and then you activate them and they, <laughs> they come and deal with the problem. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, because they don't, because of them being celestials, they don't right. eat or drink or do anything in order to exist. They yeah, so there are some cool story hooks that could even emerge out of out of you know from an archon. What if an archon is mis is misinterpreting things? Maybe something has gone mm. gone haywire with with the archon, where they believe somebody is violating a law in a, in a way that they are not, um, and now you have to deal with kind of a rogue archon. 
Yeah. So it could be fun. What if a Demir agent put fake memories inside the Archon? Well, what if? What if? Oh, my yeah, gosh. Who knows? There's so many things we Hijinx. can do. Hijinx. Yeah. All right. Uh, what, what's one more kind of weird monster? <laughs> uh, what Even is one? we already covered weirds. One more, yeah. So let, let me Did just... you have another one, or is that... Uh, I could. Unless There's you always wanna... more. Yeah, sorry. One second. I'm just going to... How cool is it to have the actual physical book in your hand as you're talking about it now? It's it's surreal. This is the the first book that I did any design work on, so it, it is a special thing. Um, but there's a really cool thing at the beginning here. Just after the table of context, there uh, uh, contents, there is an index of stat blocks. So I'm just oh, looking smart. at that right now, and just which one do I want to talk about? Um, let's talk about. Uh, sorry, let's let's find one. Um, I just want to talk about all these. <laughs> I can't. Um, okay, wanna... this is actually this is one that is less glamorous, but I think awesome. Okay. Um, there's a stat block for just a soldier here, which I think we've been we've been needing for a while because mm. we have warrior, we have knight, we don't have like an official kind of like enlisted soldier stat block, and so I'm really excited that we have we have that here. And soldiers might show up anywhere from like. A city watch that is not associated with a guild, or the Boros might have soldiers, the Azorius might have. So this is a stat block that fits, fills many roles, particularly in an urban setting, having something that is kind of an official kind of, uh, yeah, an official. So we have, you know, city watch and things like that, but having a soldier felt, uh, felt right to put in here. That does feel right, especially since so many of the tokens in Magic yeah. are basically, oh, you create a... Soldier. Now, does the stat block have lifelink in it? Or vigilance. Or vigilance, yeah, or yeah. any of the keywords that uh, are associated yeah. with Magic the Gathering? No, you're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> no, um, Dang it. It, just, it was something that, when we were, we were designing the book, we saw that there, there's definitely a hole to fill, even in just the array of D&D monster stat blocks. That this was an opportunity to include something that could be more universal for everyone's games. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think, a lot of the ways that people are using... Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, uh, obviously it's great yeah, setting. Yeah, pilfer and, away. Just take what you need. Yeah, because yeah, there's so much in there that is not typical D&D uh, that can be used to, uh, you know, throw players for a loop yeah. or, you know, uh, just to keep everybody on their toes. And so I think that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's for whatever reason, like, this little soldier is one of my favorite stat blocks we have in the book. So It will be used, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, thanks a lot, Ari. Uh, what are uh, some ways people can get in touch with you if the they have questions? The only way. There's but one way. There is but one. <laughs> by pigeon. Uh, uh, <laughs> carrier pigeon. Uh, uh, by message spell. Yeah. Uh, but no, on, uh, I am on Twitter, and I'm trying to be better at Twitter, uh, but I am at, uh, at Winnemall, W-I-N-N-E-M-A-L-L. Excellent. Well, I can't wait for more uh, D&D players to jump into Ravnica. Same. And uh, you've done some great work uh, making sure that they can. Awesome. So... I can't Thank wait. Thank you. All right. We'll be back with some more lore next week. Great. Bye, everybody. Dig it. Dig it. <laughs> uh, I love hearing everything about uh, what's happening in Ravnica with Ari. He's like a wealth of knowledge. I, le- I learned Ari's so much. Ari's Guide to Ravnica. It, that's what it should be called. Ari's Guide to Ravnica. Yep. That's a great idea. We're going to steal that. Let's change the name. We'll just change it up. Okay. Yeah, why not? I'm going to sticker all these books. <laughs> go into every single store. Ari's got Ari's got Ari's stamp, 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 stamp. Um, we have two amazing guests uh, coming down on our electronic phones. This is going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I think so. We are not that funny. 
No. No. So we got to bring on some real comedians. Exactly. So we're going to learn from the best. I hope so. Let's call them up. Okay. All right. Uh, so we are joined uh, by Justin Michael and Eric Martin. Hello. Oh, hi. Woohoo. How are Woo. you guys doing? Oh, man. This is a treat. This is a real treat. <laughs> I feel pressure now. Like it's got to be good for them. It's got to be good. If it's not, they're gonna be like, "Well, that was lame." Oh, you know, I introduced mean, I on our show. show regularly, so it's got to live up to what I want it to be. You got to do some bing bongs. But guys, it's a shared table. We're all doing this together. It's like a D and D game. It's exactly yeah. the same. If it doesn't go well, we're gonna blame the dungeon master, who is okay. uh, Pelham. Uh, no. So, okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, Pelham. yeah uh, roll for friendship, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so we're talking to you guys because you made this uh, amazing uh, Audible original uh, called Bad Reception. Uh, why don't you uh, really quick just tell us what that's all about, and then we'll get to you know your D&D roots and uh, how that informed this project. Yeah. Well, Bad Reception, it's, it's an improvised audio comedy. You can find it on Audible. Uh, but essentially, it's a, it's a narrative. It's six and a half hours long. Uh, we got like the best comedians we could find and know. So like Paul F. Tompkins and Darcy Carden from The Good Place. She's Janet. Yeah, uh, that's like, amazing. Lots of, oh, amazing human beings. And we, we brought them in and we improvised a story, but we were building it as we went. So like over the course of a year, we actually would tailor the story to whatever happened in the improv sessions, much like Dungeons and Dragons and DMing a campaign. That's very cool. That seems like yeah. a lot of pressure. It was. It was a lot of work, but it was really fun. <laughs> fun grueling? Yeah, the fun kind of grueling. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> well, I love gruel. Gruel is delicious. <laughs> yeah, well, you grew up an orphan, right? Uh, <laughs> cartoon orphan. <laughs> <laughs> so did you guys uh, have, and you said it's improvised, but did you have an outline or did you know like certain key beats or were those also made up through improvised uh, acting? Yeah, it started out kind of, the, the central conceit was like, okay, these are going to be kind of improvised sketches that take place over the phone. Um, but then, uh, you know, as we continued to make it, we needed to craft a story. So we would have beats, but then things would change. Or somebody would say like, oh, the town is plagued by buff mutant deer. We're like, all right, that's a thing. Yep. And I was like, all right, so we got to have a huge final battle with Buff Mutant Deer at the end of the series. That wasn't part of the plan, but now it is. So we would kind of plant key plot points and let people improvise around them and invent new stuff along the way. So that's very much like a Dungeons and Dragons game. It really is. And it didn't hit me until like halfway through us making it. I was like, oh, my DM skills are being put to good use. <laughs> Finally, we need to. If someone thinks deer are funny, then when they're all buff, we got to throw them yeah. in there. Yeah, buff, upright deer. <laughs> that really resonated in particular. Someone said it, and had it stay in. Yeah, I think yeah, you hit. know when you hit gold, and that seems like oh yeah, that seems golden. Yeah. Well, they were infected by toxic movie butter, so you know your classic <laughs> tale is old as time. Is there any <laughs> other kind of movie butter? I ask. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it's delicious. Uh huh. It so, goes right onto the lining of your arteries. And stays there oh, yeah. forever. Yeah. Every memory. You were going to ask a question, though, and I interrupt. Your two roles in this show. Yes. Like what, what? So what, what are both of you doing as part of the show? Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, so we co-created it, um, and I am uh, the role of the narrator. So you'll actually hear me throughout introducing all of the, the sections. I have heard you. Um, and kind of, giving, kind of giving shape to the, helping to give shape to the story and putting context for all the calls that you're going to hear. So kind of the through line throughout. Yeah, and I am 
one of the actors in it. So, you know, I play like a bunch of characters as well as kind of, we both wrote it together. So we would kind of write the main story beats. And so writing, directing, acting, we produced, you know, everything. It's an all in production. The choreography, even though it's only audio. Oh, there was all dance though. Yeah, we did dance. You can't see it, but you can hear it. You can definitely (laughs) feel it in your voices. I knew that was a, a, a triple Lutz uh, turnaround just from how the feet landed. Well, you know, and, and you're perceptive like that. So. <laughs> Not many are. So yeah, I, that is one of Greg's superpowers. I rolled really high in perception. You can always tell when somebody's dancing. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you can tell it in their voice. Uh, that's super cool. Uh, so what uh, was <laughs> that? <laughs> Did anyone else see that? <laughs> just asking. See what? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, so uh, let's go and talk through about what, you know, when, when do you start playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons and how, how your dungeon mastering skills kind of leveled up? Yeah. Uh, do you want to take it first, Justin? Yeah, sure. So I, I've, I got your classic bad introduction to D&D in high school by a group of people who were too uh, focused on winning <laughs> mm. and killing off characters. It was, it was oh. a bad DM sitch. But I did have a high school teacher who was super into monsters and stuff. And we did like extracurriculars where he would bring in books and he would uh, talk, you know, he would bring in monster manuals and things like that. Oh. So I was super into the material, but didn't actually get into playing D&D until I think like 4E. Uh, so my intro was again through like improvisers. I perform over at uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade in Los Angeles. So like it feels like improv and D&D go hand in hand. Uh, people are pretty committed to just playing their characters at the table. So uh, I, I got in through improv and, and didn't DM until 5e. And I feel like that really pulled me in. And now I'm like, you know, in every book, pouring through everything, mostly homebrew stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. It's my fave. And, and it really ended up shaping bad reception because, you know, I feel like the sessions that we would have with improvisers where I would plan way too much felt like <laughs> railroading a D&D session. Uh, you know, I've had that D&D session where I'm like, I have this crown that I want you guys to get so you can swim underwater, go under this moat, and enter this castle to fight this drow lord. Didn't work. People don't care. They just wanted to go in the other direction. I was like, okay, I planned too much. I'm railroading my players. And you know, like the, the if you railroad improvisers, they're not going to have fun just like players won't have fun. So it was a lesson. Is there and, a is there a dichotomy there between like the people who like sketch and have things like written out ahead of time and improv? Because it seems like you know to a layperson uh, that those are very similar. Like you don't see that those you know. But is that true in the comedy world? Yeah. So I, I mean, I think sketch. Ideally, like really good improv scenes, I feel like feel like a sketch, you know, like it feels like you're just coming up with a perfectly written thing on the spot. So I think they, they kind of work in tandem. But yeah, I think overly written stuff is, is going to be tough. You, you have to just run with your choices in improv. And I think it's the same with D&D. I think you're you're exactly right. And you have you said in your essay that you wrote. <laughs> yeah, that, I did send an essay to Shelley. <laughs> you said it's a good essay. that your DMing has helped, has informed or helped with your improvising. And I've yeah. always heard it the other way around, that being a good improviser has helped DMs. But you're saying it the other way around. Yeah, I think they kind of fed each other. Like being an improviser helped me, I feel like, jump into D&D more easily. I was like, yeah, of course I'll commit and say yes and to this. And I'm down to like play this crazy character and not 
feel self-conscious about it maybe. Mm -hmm. I feel like there are different kinds of players at a table and some people aren't down to jump into a character. But I think the DMing end of it, D&D is what helped the improv of bad reception. Uh, so like being on the outside and trying to kind of wrangle and direct improvisers, uh, I was really helped by like figuring out how to like plan the best play session for D&D. Uh, so, you know, give enough of a loose outline of where we could go, but also not be beholden to it. That's super cool. I think that's good advice. Yeah. The only times that I, well, the first time I ever tried DMing, it was a terrible experience for everyone, <laughs> mostly for me. But um, because I planned too much. And when the, the, the players didn't immediately like walk in the door and go right, I had no idea where they were going to go. They went left. They went left, and I was like, "I didn't plan for this. I don't know what's uh, you happening." You hit a wall, and you have to turn around and go right. Yep. So there's a door there now. Sorry. There's a picture of me that's looking at you sternly. Saying, turn go, around, go the go other back. direction. But it just it caught me off guard, and I was not prepared, and everything just fell apart since then. So I have heard since then also don't plan so much, and you really. Yeah, some of my favorite sessions have been like oh, I didn't have enough time to plan and just ran with what the players wanted to do and improvised it as we went along. And I was like, oh, this was great. You can do that. Yeah. Yeah. The other you good advice I heard was, as a DM, that you should just, like, roll a lot of dice when they do something and you're buying yourself some time and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> okay, just keep rolling the dice and make them yeah, I think, think the they sound made of dice <laughs> makes people think you're doing something. Yes. You're like, yeah. You did something terrible. Yes. Oh, you shouldn't have the gone The numbers left. don't lie. Yeah. yeah. Right there. Um, Clearly, this is... DM screen, oh, boy, you would see what happened. Oh, wow. You guys should have went left. I'm going to go easy on you now because <laughs> even though the dice are taking it pretty hard, I'm going to... All right, uh, a, a monster shows up. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're props, basically, for, for Dungeon Masters to yeah, waste time. exactly. I agree. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, Eric, what about you? When did you start playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, well, for me, I actually uh, was introduced to it. Um, I got a, a rule book uh, for Christmas uh, when I was like 12, but I didn't have anybody to play with for, for a while. So I would pour over it, read all of the things. And then, as you mentioned, like when I finally like got into a game situation and w became a DM for the first time, and it all planned out, and the moment it veered off the path, I didn't know what to do. So it's why improv is, is so important. But then in, in high school, I was um, like an actor and, and all of my friends, they started playing. So I got into games with them and then just had some epic adventures all through high school. So we would literally like rehearse our play. And then on the weekends or at nights, we would then go and play D&D. So that's uh, that's cool. But what era was that? So that was uh, 90s. So early mid 90s. Sweet. So that was that was around the same time I was doing very similar stuff at the University of Connecticut with uh uh, uh, yeah, my, my theater dork friends, we were mostly the non on screen or non on stage folks, the, uh, the, uh, the tech crew and the stage managers, we would get together and do that exact same thing, but it didn't, it fell apart mostly because of over planning or, uh, 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 slavish devotion to the, uh, product that it was. I forget what adventure it was, but it was one of those things where there was like a party. I'm going to extract, I'm, it was a whole party. And he like, if you ate the food at this like party, uh, it was the random die roll. And some people got like gained levels from this. And then specific, a specific, specific dish. If you ate it, you died. Like, is this in huh. the adventure? Or it was at in the, the adventure. Party? Like you got, you went to some weird theater party and where you and died. If like, you ate the, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, exactly. you have the Cheetos. You no, this was in the adventure and, uh, someone's character died. And then everybody eventually just quit out from that. They're like, no, Nope, I can't do this anymore. And they and they got out of it. And we never went back to that campaign. It was it was done after that. Oh. Yeah. 
Unfortunate. Right? So that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I feel like the theme of all this is going into improv and how improv is important and to read the room. Uh, yeah. 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 What does your player want, too? I feel like some people, I've realized, like, oh, I'm really combat oriented, but I'm like, oh, people sometimes just want to, I mean, because I play with a bunch of comedians, they're happy to do, like, uh, you know, do a walkthrough of a, a of a home and and see if they prospectively want to buy a home for 30 minutes. Oh, I could do uh, that. Uh-huh, you know. Improvise house hunters. Yeah, I yeah, mean, honestly, I, I feel like there was a session where we just ran a general election. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought a bunch of uh, hags in an HOA. So, you know, it's it's a real fun world. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. I know. Tell us about a little bit. You're, so you're playing in a homebrew campaign right now? Yeah, playing in a few. So I DM one of them, and then I, I play in a couple others. And one of them is like a writer's room for a Cartoon Network show I write on. And then the others are just a bunch of comedians who get together. We've been doing it for a few years. These games sound horribly boring. Like, oh. I mean, none of that can be exciting. Comedians Awful, and writers. boring human beings. And I just wanted to publicly say it. And thank you for giving me the forum. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, yeah so it... With the, uh, the the more like comedy oriented group, uh, this this our, our DM for the session was a guy named Alex Berg. He's part of this amazing group, Convoy, this improv group. Um, and he uh, we we were going to we were in these treetop villas, and there was an HOA that seemed like it was <laughs> evil. It turned out to be a hag coven <laughs> uh, we had to take down, uh, and so now uh, we did take them down. And the we overturned the HOA, so now it is uh, a more uh, now you can play like music like after a socialist, like you know, uh, society <laughs> where everybody's pitching in to uh, make the make their living situation better. But you know, you're fighting HOA is the real evil. It really is. I can totally, I can feel this pain. Yeah, nitpicky green hags. <laughs> I feel like maybe, is there like a little like reality blending in with your fantasy here with somebody having some issues with their HOA. I don't know. This one actually we do as an exquisite corpse. So I don't know what's. I think we, he just was choosing a fun. Like each each session, we uh, there's a new DM and we switch off. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so like we kind of shift, and our players are we we have a, they all we have a crystal where all the dead characters kind of get absorbed into the crystal. Or if you're not there, the idea is that they've teleported inside, and so you have a power associated with that character. So even if they're not there, they still are there. You oh, know, that's in some nice. Capacity. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think Berg's buying a condo, so I, I don't know what's okay. going on. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. I love that conceit. Is that a way to make sure that there's people uh, with a revolving cast where not everybody's going to be there from week to week, but you can still have them be present? Exactly, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, and it, and it makes it feel meaningful. Like, why is this person gone? Well, you know, they went back in the crystal. <laughs> they're in the crystal. <laughs> That's an easy answer. <laughs> And they're, you're all just watching The Dark Crystal. Uh, yeah, that's kind of all we do is watch The Dark Crystal. <laughs> we like the Skeksis, so. They are pretty Do cool. you ever try out any material for your upcoming shows through your D&D campaign? No, I mean, most of the shows that I'm doing are improv. So, like, really, sometimes I'll, I'll kind of, I really love diving into character voice stuff just because I do voiceover. So it's like an excuse to just, try a character out for a while. Um, So in this uh, writer's room for this show, Infinity Train, uh, we, when we played D and D, there have been some things that uh, afterwards were like, Oh, that would make a good character for this show. Mm. But yeah, I don't think we're actively trying. I think the fun of D and D is just that 
it is no no stakes storytelling for me at least. Uh, like yeah, I can you can go anywhere and it's it's open and fun and you're not worrying about somebody giving you notes about it. Um, it's it's just really yeah not really trying to make it a work thing as much as possible. That's yeah, it's a good release for yeah. sure. Um, so Eric, you obviously do a lot of voiceover since you're the narrator uh, for this as well. Do you ever use your your voices uh, when you're playing? Well, yeah, I actually, I, um, it's funny, I've been so, so crazy busy. It has been a few years since I've played, um, since I've played, but what I do do is narrate a lot of fantasy and lit RPG books. So, um, so I, I'm definitely doing a broad range of, of character voices whenever I'm, you know, narrating a fantasy story. Um, but it is now, and not, now I actually quit my full-time job a few months ago. So I have the oh. opportunity to jump back in and join a game or two, which I'm very excited about, but um, yeah, so the answer is I will be. <laughs> got to play. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, Justin's in, any time. You're in like four games, so there might be room once or twice. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll see. Uh, I don't know. Get out of the crystal and join the game. <laughs> <laughs> you're stuck in the crystal the whole time. I'm totally using yeah, that yeah, next yeah, time. I'm not allowed to jump out. <laughs> what kind of uh, fantasy work have you been doing? Uh, anything that uh, we know about? Uh, well, I I just did a um, uh, a lit RPG series um, by this uh, wonderful author from the Yukon. Um, his name is Tao Wong, um, and he he does like every sort of book is a different dungeon or or level, and it, it truly is like you're just you're just going through. And he writes great action sequences, so they're a lot of fun to do. I was doing some Russian translated ones for a while, which are super out there and crazy. Yeah, um, and uh, it's just a really um, fun series. I love playing. Um, games like fantasy like actual like role-playing games as well on on uh computer so um uh, i love that format um yeah that is i i love that too yeah the 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 stuff that comes the, the fantasy that is not western fantasy when it, when you're you know uh, uh uh you know introduced to it they have so many strange ideas that you're like oh my gosh why isn't more of this being infected into all the stuff we're reading and watching you know nowadays yeah for sure yeah i dig um, it you know, it's funny. I just remembered um, when I my first um, actual experience um, doing playing, and mm-hmm. it was I was twelve years old, um, and my friend was like, "Hey, um, I um, uh, I've got a game, uh, but it's super advanced." And I was like, "Oh, I gotta play it." I got He's like, "No, no, it's 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 not for you. It's 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 super advanced." <laughs> and I was like, "Give me, let me try it. I, I want to try it." Like it was a challenge, so I started playing. And then two minutes later, he's like, you're dead. (gasps) And he's like, so you had to do this, 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 and this. And I was like, role playing sucks. And I thought that for for a while, but uh, it turns out uh, he was wrong. Um, Role playing is great. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to do it right. Well, it sounds like both of you had the same experience of like, you know, the early, you know, uh, way it was played was very much a, you must do X, Y, and Z in order to, to get past all of the challenges. Yeah, that first dungeon master can really make or break this, it obviously. Can. Like yeah. if you never went back to it, if you just thought role playing was like I just do something and then I die, nobody tells me why. It's just how it is. I mean, yeah. That could just be your impression of this. And I'm playing in a home game now where a guy uh similar, you know, to what you were describing, uh hadn't played since the 90s or 80s 
And, you know, he was in that, like, 10-foot pole, always checking, making sure every door is, you know, okay. And he was playing that way with 5th uh, Edition for a little while. And I was like, I don't, I don't think you really need to do that. And he's like, oh, the way we played it was we were trying to steal from each other the whole time and, like, <laughs> kill each other and blah, blah, blah. Each other? Like, the party? The party was, too. I was like, that's a very different style of game that I've never play played in. Guy. We are not playing this. Oh. Yeah. You're I, doing it wrong. I, I, I didn't want to be like you're doing it wrong, but I'm like, no, that's just not for this game. We're doing it this way. Uh, and kind of set the standard a little bit. And, you know, and going back to what I was saying about reading the room, I think that's such a, uh, a good a skill for a dungeon master to, to know, but you, don't, you can't really get it unless you played a few times. So even you, Shelly, like, oh, the first time you played, you're like, you would have had some skills to be able to teach them to go down that one way without yeah, doing it. And so you almost just have to have that practice, yep. uh, which, you know, Eric, you're totally getting by doing improv and playing in four. I'm sorry, Justin, you're getting it by playing in four games all the time and, and and improving at all times, it is wild. <laughs> yeah, you're exercising those muscles. Yeah, and as a DM and a player. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I mean, certain- I feel like fifth edition is so easy to jump into, uh, which is why I got into it uh, because it is so flexible. I mean, we've been doing a lot more like theater of the mind stuff, which I wasn't as into initially, and I was like, oh, I get it now that right. I DM. It's a lot to prepare sometimes too. <laughs> Yes, a lot less stuff to bring with you. Uh-huh. Do you have particular types of characters that you gravitate to when you guys play? I usually, I think like as an adult, I like lamer characters. I think like <laughs> characters who are bad at what they do are more interesting to me than like yeah. just being the statted up, you know, Hulk that can just bash through things and, you know, do what, you know, cast the coolest spell. Uh, I think I just rolled up a Kenku rogue uh, who has a negative one to intelligence and that's just fun to play. I'm like, well, going into this, I'm going to be bad at things. Uh, <laughs> it does relieve a lot things. of the pressure to actually like help the party. <laughs> yeah. It was my character yep. uh, who made that poor decision. Yep. <laughs> Not me. I'll always use like role playing or, or my default will be to use it as like working towards an ideal of like, here's how I would want to behave or, or, you know, like um, just sort of like arc toward, you know, trying to make the right moral decisions wherever possible. Um, that's been that's been my uh, sort of default to go to. And that's what, you know, I think one of the cool things about 5th edition is that you put that right on the top of your sheet. It's like, what are your, what are your you know, your, your aspirations? What are your goals? What are your, you know, what, what are the things that are important, your values, you know, uh, in addition to what your flaws are? Uh, and that I think that in itself brings more of the play to what the role, what the character is choosing rather than, you know, how can I do damage and not die? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like much deeper character exploration rather than like, you're a set of numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I always felt like when you pick your your background or your flaws and all that, it does kind of feel like being at an improv show where the cast is like, give me a flaw. Like, you know. Yeah, roll the die. Yeah, I, okay. I'm a smelly guy. I don't shower. <laughs> I spend all my money there. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> is this smelly guy one of the flaws? It is one of the flaws of the urchin uh, background. Uh, yeah, you literally don't sh- you know shower very often, yeah. so you're you're, you're it's there. It's kind of fun. I it like is. to roll the dice to create that stuff too. Yeah. so it is kind of like it does feel like an improv show it. for that reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun to run with those choices too. You know, I, for me, I'm like, okay, what's going to be fun to play, and what's going to be a fun bit to do? What what <laughs> I feel like because it's with comedians a lot of the time. It's like, what's the joke going to be with this character? 
Uh, and you know, he's going to be looking for dinosaurs and he's going to say sours instead of sores. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I'll hinge on until we find one. And maybe we'll never find one. You're like, I can milk that for at least, you know, 14 sessions. When all else fails. Yes. <laughs> yes. You got to have something. So, I mean, I know we were just saying, uh, uh, character sheets are more than a, a bag of numbers. Uh, but have you ever thought of, I mean, I, when you guys were putting together bad reception, did you ever have you know, not a character sheet for each character that was going to be portrayed in this, but did you have an outline where you're like, okay, this is the major important things, or did you allow the performers to come up with that? Like, how did, how did this work? Yeah, we did. We actually, we ultimately, like, ended up creating, like, the most comprehensive, mind-numbing Google Doc of, like, weird specifics. <laughs> uh, so it was, like, you know, this spreadsheet of, like, the name of the character. We would give them a little bit, like, okay, you're, you know, a doctor, and you're calling to make an appointment with this person. But overall, we left, you know, general specifics up to the improvisers to, like, lock down sometimes their name and, you know, just what their personality or what their voice was like. But once we locked them in and brought them back, I, you know, Eric and I would keep track of all the details. So we're like, okay, this person um, had food poisoning and they were afraid of fire. <laughs> and, you know, we have to know all of these things. This person's child was eaten by a mutant deer, so uh, they're going to be affected by that. Yeah. One's a host of an NPR style radio show that never ends and is always having a pledge drive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a thing where we're like, we, we gave them a lot of freedom to begin with. And then we kind of had to shape things more specifically as we went along. So we were just jotting down every detail and who each person was married to or, you know, dating or single, you know, whatever. It was insane. <laughs> That's yeah. really cool. And that, you do something similar in your D&D campaign? With D, at least with D&D, when DMing and stuff, yeah, it's, you know, keeping a log of, you know, what people say. I, I, at least whenever I start out uh, a session after a while, I have them describe what they dreamt of. Oh. Uh, because I feel like what people choose to say they dream about or have nightmares about is going to be telling of their characters. So I, you know, so a lot of the times people will bring up their family or where they're from or you know, just mix it up so it's not just like you're sitting around at a tavern talking to each other, which is perfectly fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when people have to describe being chased by teddy bear, you know, tinker mechs, I'm like, okay, well, that's a thing that I will hold on to. And that will definitely happen down the line. <laughs> yeah, that is a great way to get like, you know, uh, uh, portent, you know, th any, anything that the, the character is okay. choosing to remember and talk to you about, you know, it's going to have something, even if it's just, oh, they're scared of snakes. Or, yeah. or clowns. We learned about a candy kingdom in one of those dreams in my, <laughs> the one that I'm DMing and candy kingdom of honeydew, uh, <laughs> ruled by Prince Rolo who rides an ostrich. So, Oh my God. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a fun time. We're statting up Prince Rolo right I now. I know. I love this. Uh, he was, he's, he weighs 400 pounds. So I don't know how that ostrich is handling his weight. It's but, a beefy you know. ostrich. Just like, a, yeah. yeah the mutant or the toxic movie popcorn butter. Yes, 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 yes. Probably has some of that. <laughs> See, it all comes together. It all comes full circle. I love that. That's a really good idea, too. I just like the idea. It's kind of making me want to try being a DM again. Because I love the idea it. of taking all these little nuggets, storing them away, and then you never know when you're going to drop a clown. I will play in your House Hunter D&D campaign. You will? Yeah. House Hunters is kind of perfect for a D&D campaign. You're, I mean, it's got you're, hunters you're in the title. You're exploring yeah. some oh, yeah. new domain every time, every game. You know there's a D&D monster that is an evil house, right? 
Is it on the hill? <laughs> no, it's not. No, I mean, it could be Does in yours. Does betrayal happen there? Yes, betrayal happens there. And there's an <laughs> evil woman uh, who is the brand manager of it. <laughs> She's the worst. Yeah, that sounds super fun. That does sound. Uh, so, but yeah, go, uh, movie popcorn butter. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know, I'm For bad reception, crazy. yeah. Why is that the the MacGuffin? <laughs> well, uh, so it's set in a Northern California town, um, and there is a place called Castroville, which I think has like is like the some kind of there's like a garlic capital somewhere, and there's just basically different towns in California that have as their staple crop something. And we thought, why not um, movie theater butter? Um, yeah. Because I um, do like. Um, to eat that. And I thought, um, why not? Yeah, you just ladle it straight into your mouth. You don't even need you the popcorn. Yeah, the popcorn mm. is just a vessel. Eric is very sick. <laughs> uh, yeah, we thought it was fun. Also, uh, kind of the original setup was like, there's this made-up town called South Grampers, Northern California, and they want it to be the Hollywood of Northern California. So they're <laughs> putting on a film festival and, you know, in kind of like a Guffman-esque way, uh, but they're trying to attract business. The town is in dire straits. And so we thought like, oh, they, they're just going to be movie butter themed. Uh, so th- since they produce so much movie butter, why not throw out, you know, a movie festival? So they have a yellow carpet for people to walk down. <laughs> oh, gross. It's made of butter. Uh, exactly. through it. There, there are two old men who um, have dueling bagel shops, and we took this as a um, uh, sort of a, there, here in LA. There's um, uh, two French dips uh, dip shops, and they they both have their their claim to fame that they invented the French dip. There's Coles and Philippe's, and they both say they invented it at the same time. Is this uh, true? This is not. Yeah, this is actually true. true. Okay. So we took this to um, to these two bagel shop owners and their movie theater butter bagels, and, uh, and it, that was the starting point. In episode one, but then by episode, you know, or chapter thirteen, it's gone. They've already died and been resurrected, and are part cybernetic, and things just happen. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they drive bagel-shaped limousines. They're cybernetic horse people. It really, it just takes a bunch of left turns. <laughs> but you also like I, the left turn that Shelley oh, needed. So you should have been Hello. in my game and made that left turn. <laughs> Could be a whole different world right now. So it's there's a lot of things I imagine that come up in your D&D games or, or through your improv with bad reception. But you have to, it's a talent to know, like, which ones to hold on to. So how do you know which ones are the nuggets and which ones are like, eh, let that one go? I mean, part of it is just trusting your gut, but I think it is paying attention to, I think in D&D, it's like, what? It, how are the players engaged? Because, like, try as you might, or at least we don't have, like, a no phone rule at our table, but, like, Mostly people are pretty checked in, but you can tell when they start to drift off. Right. I think similarly when, you know, doing an improv scene, what the the people in the booth, and, and we'll have the other people improvising watching from outside. So, like, we have an audience, and so it's kind of like paying attention to that audience and seeing, like, oh, they're laughing at that. Or if it made us gut laugh, we're like, all right, we're bringing that back. Uh, so it really is, I think, just paying attention to your audience. And, and a lot of the times that is your, your players in D&D or... Or, you know, the improvisers in your scene, how are they, like, checked in and what are they connecting to? Uh, rather than trying to push your own agenda that's separate from, right. you know, it's like, well, I wanted them to wear this, you know, volleyball crown. No, <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to do that. <laughs> Try as you might yeah. to get them to wear it. It still exists in your world. You have a little thing that you made, but nobody's getting it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the stuff of legend uh, that yeah, no one will ever interact with. 
my folder of things that my players have never touched. <laughs> Got to file it away. One day. You never know. Yeah. Chris Perkins told this story where he created this and it was like a uh, seafaring campaign and he would fleshed out an entire island that they were going to go to and they went ah. the other way. And he's like, all right, well, maybe they'll get to that island. And he said like two years later, they eventually <laughs> uh, visited it. So yeah, you can always bring it back. But why couldn't yeah, no just stories die. the island? You can, I guess. Yeah, that's the other, that's the other trick is just to... Oh, by the way, you went that way? This is the thing. Yeah. Which is what you should have done in your... I know. And if now you had just now. flipped it... I know. I just was in such a, a blind panic. It just never occurred to me that they would go in a different direction. <laughs> never. <laughs> You're like, I, put, I literally put candies leading down that one path. And I'm like, nope, like, that's a trap. We're going candy. Yeah. <laughs> we were in the mood for something savory. <laughs> oh, okay. I respect that choice, but come on. <laughs> now I know. Now I know. You just got to roll with it. So the, I love this whole idea behind uh, bad reception. It reminded me a little bit of, uh, well, two things came to mind when you guys were talking about it. One is uh, in like the whole people who invented the culinary thing back and forth. Is, yeah. I feel like in New Haven, there was the two pizza parlors or Sal's and Vinny's of like mm-hmm. who, you know, popularized pizza. It's like this whole, you know, it's, it's like a thing. So you're getting into that, you know, the deep seated roots of American capitalism uh, there. <laughs> And then uh, uh, there was a show in the 80s. I don't know if you guys remember. It was called Fresno. It was basically making fun of Dallas, like how Dallas (laughs) was super popular at the time. But it was about uh, uh, Fresno was the... Uh, I think it was the raisin capital of Northern California. And there was like all about the, you know, the, the, how the raisin, uh, you know, inheritance was going to go to one other person in the, in the, in the family and all that kind of stuff. So it was short lived. I think it was only around for, you know, a few episodes, maybe one season. Uh, But it taps into that same idea of there's a capital of some kind of agriculture in California and it's parodying some of the same things you guys are parodying. Yeah, it's it's fun to take something so high stakes, you know, make something so low stakes, very high stakes. So the fact that these people cared so much about movie butter in their town was just a fun thing to revisit no matter what. I mean, it became life and death over movie butter. Yeah, I mean, conflict is inherently uh, interesting. So wherever you can amp that up, it's just going to make people key in and engaged. Yeah, uh, I that is, sounds amazing. I've never heard of Fresno and that, that sounds... I, I can't believe that that happened and that I don't know about it. Now I got to rewatch it or make sure it wasn't just a dream I had. Hold on. <laughs> See, you could oh, use no, that. Oh, that was a show I dreamt that. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, that was a dream. So you can bring that back in a later episode if yes, you want. <laughs> I hope your, your dungeon master uses that then. I love the dream idea. I think that's really cool. It was a mini series from 1986, so I'm not crazy. Uh, was it on the TV? It was on the TV. <laughs> uh, oh. It was nominated for a daytime, no, five primetime Emmys. What? So wow. at least it was I'm that much. I don't remember. Charles Grodin was like the 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 head of it. Ooh, I'm on board, and I'm betting he was cranky. <laughs> he was maybe might have been cranky. I think that yeah. was because he was probably like the Jr. character, if I'm remembering oh, yeah. correctly. I've never seen him not cranky as a an actor. I love it. <laughs> He's that's his he hates Muppets. He hates that big dog Beethoven. He, <laughs> no, <laughs> captured by that bounty hunter. No, no sir, he does no. not like Martin Short uh, as a small child torturing him. <laughs> oh man (laughs) so i think when a lot of people hear improv they immediately think funny comedy but Uh and a lot of dungeon masters might struggle with the being being able to improv and roll with the punches and do all the things that we were talking about but in in the world of D D, it doesn't always have to be funny you just have to know how to 
roll with things and read the room and you're giving us some really good advice. But if you had to sum it up, like as with your backgrounds and knowing what you know and what you do for your day jobs and you had to tell the average dungeon master tips on what they should do oh, man. to use improv in their own games, but it doesn't have to always be funny. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just make a make a choice uh, and also read the room. Read what your players are interested in. Allow them to make choices for you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give them a setup that's open enough that it's going to be fun and they're going to want to make a choice. But then don't be afraid to let them make the decision and follow that. Uh, so I guess don't over prepare. Don't railroad your players yep. too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say it in, in just a word. Uh, listen. Yeah. Yes. Pay attention. Now, when you were doing, when you were casting, were, were you involved in the casting for bad reception? Oh yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, do you do you use some of those same parameters for when you put together a D and D group? Yeah, I think you you think of friends who are receptive and open and aren't going to be the people who are trying to kill you or rob you <laughs> in the middle of a session, unless you're like, this is a villain's campaign. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I think you're looking for people who are open to working together uh, and, and yeah, really listening to each yeah. other or like are going to be engaged in trying to make strong choices. And I don't know, I think it's hard at first, especially if people haven't played D&D. So yeah. you kind of encourage them, give them that opportunity to like, you know, make the choice. Uh, so they feel comfortable doing it. And it's like, you know, I think that's what I love about inspiration in, in fifth edition yeah. is, you know, rewarding people for just doing something cool. Uh, like, hey, you decided to do this in an you know, unorthodox way. This is great. Uh, keep doing that. And here you have an in-game device. You know, we, we gave you a little reward so you can keep doing those things. So, yeah. Uh, I think one thing you guys described would be super valuable for um uh, me as a dungeon master <laughs> is creating that Google Doc of things yeah. uh, that happen that you just make up on the fly because those are the ones you may not remember. You know, five sessions from now when you just happen to name this tavern or you know that this barmaid uh, uh, has you know a family of halflings that she's adopted uh, or something like that, right? Like you, those are the random details that you're never going to actually remember from session to session. So having you know, even just the physical thing of typing it down into a document will probably make you yeah. remember it a little bit more, but then having something back to refer to, I'm totally going to use that. I know. Yeah, I have a lot of little note cards that say things like Potato Alley, and I'm like, why did I write this down? <laughs> I know Potato Alley is a place in the Tri-Canal area, but I don't know what any of this means. So, you know, maybe organizing it in a doc is more helpful. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> or ask your players, hey guys, what does Potato Alley mean? Yeah, I mean, I know, but I just wanted to test <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. An NPC comes up to you and says, what do you know about Potato Alley? Yeah. There we go. Huh? Shelly, this is half of a campaign. Okay, I'm going <laughs> right to run that. Door, and then an NPC comes up and asks you about Potato Alley. See? I just DM. You just did. <laughs> oh Roll God. the dice. I need dice right now. <laughs> um, I love that. And you know, I think you, that players appreciate that stuff coming back because recently in our Extra Life game... Adam Lee was my dungeon master, and I wrote, he asked us for some backstory, and he probably meant like a couple of sentences, and much like your college essay, I wrote <laughs> pages about my character that I was really only playing for two hours, and he used some of my backstory in our game, and I was so honored and so excited and so invested in that, that it was like, I just, I just think it's cool. So yes, dungeon masters should definitely save some of those nuggets, bring them back 
when the players least expect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to like, it feels like a good TV show yeah. uh, where it's like, oh yeah, this thing actually meant something. <laughs> yeah. And you, you put a lot of work into writing that bio or, I you know, sure whatever did. background. So, you know, yeah. Bring it, bring it forward. Bring it forward. Yeah, make it relevant. And you're right. It does feel like, oh, this was perfectly, uh, uh, you know, um, foreshadowed in episode one, uh, what was going to happen in session five. Yeah. Works out really well. Um, so did you guys ever play Dungeons the Dragons with any of the cast members from uh, Bad Reception or anything like that? Are, are they into that type of improv or are they just more into the comedy style? I think I feel like Dungeons and Dragons, especially because of Five E, has like really been more popular than ever. So I, it's, I feel like it's spread a lot around the improv community because it's so easy to pick up. Uh, who Zach Reno? He's he plays uh, <laughs> in Bad Reception. He plays the mayor's sidekick. Uh, he's kind of like a Robin-like ward uh, named Beyonce. Uh, who's dressed like a bee but makes a lot of Beyonce references. <laughs> uh, he, you know, he, he and Jess McKenna have this podcast called Off Book, which is an improvised musical. But they Zach is super into D and D, so he's in one of the that Exquisite Corpse campaign that I'm playing. And I think right now, oh, he, he's he's a very musical dude, so he there's a lot of singing involved. <laughs> oh, fun! He improvises D and D musical. D and D musical coming up again. Were, that were in the show that are, they're also in. Oh, yeah, Fernie shows. and Berg. Yeah, yeah, the two people who, like, introduced me, reintroduced me to D&D, uh, who, you know, the guys from that improv group Convoy. Yeah, they both play a couple characters. There's a good, I feel like there's a lot of crossover between D&D and improv and the people we had in the cast, and I feel like everybody is willing to. My girlfriend, she's in the cast. She plays in our sesh. She is Rolo, uh, the prince who rides an Whoa, Oscar. Oh, awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, who does she play in uh, Bad Reception? In Bad Reception, she plays a two characters. One woman named Marta Hammerstein, uh, who's constantly getting <laughs> uh, more and more plastic surgery uh, for her and her dog. Oh. Um, <laughs> and uh, she plays a, a woman who's trying to make a documentary about a Sasquatch. I think well, that's right. Yep. And Chambers. These are so yeah. good. I know, I right? Love this. Yeah. Awesome. It, Many, many fun. So, many fun. well, what about D&D improv? I've done a and d improv show, actually. There, at UCB, we did a Dungeons & Dragons and improv show really? once. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we basically just got suggestions, I think, of, like, types of characters that you would roll up and then, you know, did scenes based off of that. It was in, like, kind of a Forgotten Realmsy sort of reality. Nice. Was it around, like, a tabletop thing, or were you actually up and No, we were up and performing it, yeah. Uh, but I think there are some shows at UCB yeah. where, you know, they're, they're doing improvised D&D or like there will be, I think, players. And then what they say is kind of what they do in the game is the suggestion and their scenes based off of what they're rolling up and stuff side by side. Yeah, there's like a it. lot. There's a lot you can play with in that format. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But are, is it a regular thing or is it just what was a one off where, where they it was? It was more of a one off sort of thing. Yeah, man. Would love to bring it back. Yeah. I'm just I looking for any way to incorporate D&D into any of the things that I already do. I host a Batman the Animated Series podcast. And uh, a buddy of mine who does stuff for like DMs Guild, he, I was like, you want to come over and just like try to figure out like what Mr. Freeze would be if he were a 5e character? What <laughs> <laughs> <That> is Clayface? <laughs> yeah. uh, now, is it Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze, or is it, uh, uh, you know, the real... 
animated Thinking series. Thinking like 90s, like Bruce Tim, Mr. Freeze, but boy, do I want those ice puns anyway. Yeah, I immediately went to those. Yeah, I mean, how could you not? He's a cultural staple. <laughs> <laughs> That's the word I was going for. Cultural yeah, 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 yeah. Icon, hero. <laughs> Staples. I kind of also like all of these characters from Bad Reception and their amazing backstories. I kind of like the idea of incorporating them as backgrounds into D&D, too. Mm. Ooh. I mean, They'd I want to roll up like, a buff mutant deer for sure. For sure. Uh, like somehow yeah. you'd have to find like the D&D equivalent of your NPR show where you're constantly doing a pledge drive. <laughs> That's like know. a bard. It's every it's a, bard. It's a bard. Yeah. Yeah. Begging for money. I really like it. The whole mutant deer thing, I'm definitely picturing like the upper torso of a kangaroo. <laughs> is that is that how you oh, guys yeah, are picturing yeah, the same it? Kind of musculature. Uh huh. I, I think I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I never give it too much, but the, but that's what I would yeah. visualize. As, yeah. Yeah, and that's the glory of audio. You know, you can imagine whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> we did have a uh, Kyle Mooney uh, from SNL play Lee Deer, who is the leader of the Deer People. Lee Deer. Uh, Lee Deer. I mean, these are all spoilers, but it's also a pretty loose world. So. That's right. We're not giving too much away by saying that. No. <laughs> Uh, someone, someone who's watching this right now is on episode nine and is like, "What you son of a bee? How <laughs> dare <Beyonce. laughs> I was riveted for the story. Yeah. I thought they were merely animals. <laughs> sure, they were talking, but <laughs> I'm going to stop laughing. <laughs> this is good. We felt it from far away. I felt a chill, and I knew somebody had stopped laughing. <laughs> somebody stopped laughing. Tens of voices stopped <laughs> laughing. <laughs> Well, I mean, you guys said you got a whole bunch of other things in the mix. What's uh, what's what's coming up next for you? Well, we're actually doing we're doing a live show for Bad Reception in San oh, Francisco. Cool. They're going to be announcing it on Friday. If you, you check the SF Sketchfest website, uh, but we've got some some great people. You know, we're going to do that. Um, and and we're we're working on our next project. I don't think we can talk about that. Yeah. I have so much, but I can't. I can't say what it is. What it is yet? And yeah, it makes me sad. But, uh, but there's lots coming up. Okay. I write for a show called Infinity Train uh, that's coming out on Cartoon Network next year. It's kind of a. It's a mystery. Got some comedy in it, but uh, yeah, I think I think the D and D audience would enjoy it. It sounds very uh, very D and D like, like a yeah. Eb- Eberron uh, mixed with um, uh, Shira. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are yeah, there are definitely those types of characters. <laughs> I, like I wish it. I could say more, but I'm contractually obligated to say nothing more. <laughs> it, I just can't confirm. I do work on it. Yes, I write on the show, and you'll enjoy it generically. <laughs> <laughs> With no value add. Or Can you tell all. us yep. when it comes out? Next year. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think so, sometime in 2019 is, is when it's supposed to come out, but that's all we I know. We will look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds awesome. There's been a lot of great uh, animated. I mean, I mentioned Shira. I can't wait to see what that hasn't come out yet, has it? No, but I think pretty soon. Very it soon. Looks great. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, just that this rebirth of fantasy, just in general, uh, is is super uh, awesome to be a part of. It's cool to see that people are just into it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like the cool kids like fantasy now. The cool kids like D and D now. Wait, are we cool? Yeah, now? we're not yeah. cool now. No. Well, now we're not cool. No. Good. Phew, that was no. close. <laughs> Almost died there. Uh, all right, so yeah, where uh, where can people find you on uh, you know social media or where they can find when you guys can finally talk about your projects? Uh, where, where can they find out more? Uh, 
You can find me at Hey Justin on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, at BTAS Podcast if you want to hear a deep dive into Batman the Animated Series with the people who made it and comedians who liked it. Sweet. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm at uh, Eric1Martin, E-R-I-C, 1Martin on Twitter. You can find me there. Um, there is also uh, EricMartinVoiceOver.com where all of my stuff goes. Um, and then if you want a direct link to Bad Reception, it's audible.com slash bad reception. So it's right there. If you're not a member, you first one's free yep. and check it out. This is a good one to use your, well, it's a good one to get anyway, but new members do get the free credit. Oh yeah. Yeah, they do. But yeah, existing members, use your credit. Use your, use credit. your credit, existing use your credit member. You've got it. credit. You're yeah. fine. Yeah, you're swimming in them. They're going to love it. <laughs> That's what they're for. Support your fellow D&D artists out there. Yeah. With bad reception. And with the bits I've heard, the pre- previews that you guys have up here uh, are uh, you know, hilarious. So oh, you, you pick the right stuff to, yeah. to be able to pique everyone's interests, I think, for this type of thing. Yeah, good for long drives, short drives, all drives. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're driving that plane. Phone driving. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I just on a personal note, the uh, whole bit about the uh, calling into a conference call, uh, mm-hmm. that scene as someone who works in an office and does lots of conference calls, it's so true. Yeah, everybody can be the best at it, and it's still never going to go 100% well. <laughs> <laughs> We're all trying. Yeah. Yeah. But a conference call is a nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Robin's egg blue. We we, we wanted to share some of that pain and just just bring you right there. (laughs) We felt it. We felt it together. Awesome. I'm glad. It's good to be understood. All right. Well, uh, you know, thanks, Justin, for playing as much Dungeons & Dragons as you do. Thank you, Eric, for jumping into one of Justin's campaigns. Thanks for quitting your day job so you can now play (laughs) D&D. That's why I did it. Awesome. Uh, thanks cool. for having us. Yeah. Yeah. This is fun. Yeah, you guys are fantastic. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Um, so those two gentlemen hey. were wonderful to speak to. That was so good. I feel like I uh was able to improvise that interview. Do you? <laughs> was I able to? I feel like I could be a dungeon master. Uh, you totally could. I've been telling you that for years. I don't think I can. You totally can. You know, improv just scares me. You know what's improv? Us right now right talking. Now. And I'm so scared. You look petrified. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm so scared. Yes, and? Yes, but. Yes, yes but. Um, no, they're wonderful. Yeah. And their show is funny. And I love all of, like the how D&D is, has informed so much of, of how that show works. Right. The inner workings. There's improv with the cast. Um, actors who are using Dungeons and Dragons just to exercise their like creative muscles. I know it's crazy. Which I find super fascinating. I don't think that was ever really something that I considered Dungeons and Dragons could do. But I it's and not it it's not surprising though. I you know, once you once like, you what, think about yeah. it, you're like, Yeah, yeah, yeah that's cool. Similarities. Like, you know, but I, in when I was growing up there was always like this uh, you know, I loved comedy, I loved, you know, watching Saturday Night Live and all those performers and stuff like that. I never thought that all my love of you know the hobbit and 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 fantasy and D D right. that there'd be like this they could go together this combo deal but now it totally is it's crazy to think about hand in hand all of these very talented writers and and comedians and actors just like 
playing D&D. &D, I know? mean, it's so exciting that it's like amazing to me that you would yawn when you were talking about it. It's almost like <laughs> I've been in this room for like 197 <laughs> hours. It's true. It's been a long <laughs> hours. I had an extra hour. I had to talk to uh, all the folks for the lore stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. It's been fun, though. We dig it. Yeah. Oh, God, can I stop saying no. the same thing over and over again? You know what I do want to talk about and have the things that we talk about over and over again? I don't know. Like we, we talked about all the products that are already out there. We all did. the fun games I that people can go play. Yeah. I think we people know. Can we just call? Can we just phone it in? Can we just be like, all right, this Let's is good. Let's phone it in. Go, you know, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com oh, for more information place to go to. on yeah. all of the products that are coming out. Or Avalon Dragon Hill 2. <laughs> Let's do D&D first. Okay. Um, or, or Dragon Plus, the app you can get on your phone. Yeah. Or you can go to dragonmag.com. But that's really like one-stop shopping for D&D &D as well. Everything you need is in Dragon Plus. It's one stop. It's all you need. And then if you want to find out about all the fun games coming down uh, the Avalon Hill line, right. including Axis and Allies and Zombies and Betrayal Legacy, yeah. uh, follow them on at Avalon Hill 2, the number 2. On Twitter. On Twitter. Or Avalon Hill Games on Facebook. On the Facebook. Or AvalonHill.com. Or just Shelly Moo. Or follow me, Shelly Moo. I'll tell you stuff. I'll tell you the stuff. <laughs> I'll tell you all the fun things you need to know about. I will. I'll do it. Sweet. What about you? I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, Greg underscore Tito. Whoa, different Greg. Yeah, there was another Greg Tito on the Instagram, so no, not good. Maybe it's your fan site. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I Totes. that's what it is. Toast goats. It's probably me signed up for it like, you know, and 10 you years ago and I forgot what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like I'm having a deja vu, like glitch in the matrix, like we said this already. We did. I think we've seen it, said it like every week. It's almost like we've said it every week for the past four years. How long have we been doing this? <laughs> I mean, I've only been here like three years. So Why are we not celebrating like when we hit like 100 episodes or like 150? Because it's, it's hard to establish when the count should begin. I know, but I kind of feel like let's maybe, start it like now. Maybe Nathan would get us. This was episode that. one. Oh god, <laughs> I'm totally celebrating episode five. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a really good one. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, you are the best. Thank you for being with us for 400 episodes. I can't oh believe it. Oh my god, we're at our 400th episode Woo! and our seven millionth listener. <laughs> Noisemaker. Oh, the confetti! Oh, it's I gonna love take it. forever to get this out of my hair. Why did we shoot the confetti at the ceiling? All the rocks are falling. Oh my god! Ah. Oh, 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 this isn't confetti, it's rocks! Ah. Dummies! Ah. Oh. We're dying. <laughs>